is Apologetics Live. To answer your questions, your host from Striving for Eternity Ministries, Andrew Rappaport. TikTok ready to rock. Welcome to Apologetics Live. Shout out to Bond Surfer for Christ, Jesse, Melissa. What up, every all the other regulars? Sorry, Andrew can't be with us tonight. He is. Uh, he's. In, he's. I, I had to. Not, I mean, he's incapacitated. I mean, you know, he's busy. I had so much rather you be on, John. Than right, Andrew, we took care of that so. interruption. <sighs> <sighs> Full belly bear had a full Suddenly belly there. The show just got worse again. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Just me thought you weren't going to have to deal with Andrew tonight. And he's back. It's Apologetics Live. You, someone tried to take over the show, but they, they were trying to prevent our guest from coming in. I hope he's okay. <clears throat> Maybe I should Wasn't call 911. Post meal guys trying to come in and yeah. sabotage the show. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, I, I, uh, we, I see that we have uh, Pastor Casey back there, so we'll have to bring him in in, in a minute so he can uh, give another plug for Beulah Baptist Church where we're going to be. We're going to be there not uh, getting closer and closer. Uh, Anthony, you better start working on your messages. I mean, just saying. And your tan. Otherwise, you're going to be blowing in the dark. I have a yeah. good tan. It's this light. I have this day, daylight light bulbs in here it's, that make me look really look, white. Brother, it's brother. Dimmer look, it's, it's not the light bulb. Look. Okay, just just put something on that forehead of yours, okay, so that the, the it's the shine off of I the bald head. I just wonder if you guys are putting your wife's makeup on to dampen the light. <laughs> No, I know how to use the controls on my <laughs> settings for my camera. Yeah, Anthony doesn't yeah, know how to I'm use this camera. I to get the camera on and zoomed in, so. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, we, I see that uh, that we have uh, Calculus Man is here. He says he's here, so that's good. Um, but, he had a great uh, shirt the other day for those of you know who had, for those of you know, Calculus and Differential Equations. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, only certain people get the, when you wear shirts like that, will get it. So tonight, what, what we're going to do for the topic, uh, to start off before you, if you, any of you guys have questions, just come on in to apologeticslive.com. Uh, and from there, you can, you'll be able to see the links to join. Uh, you just click on the, the duck icon. Um, that is the, the link. And so uh, if you do that, you'll be able to join again for folks who, uh, who want to, if you if you want to help support us, uh, you can, um, you can th- on the video, if you're watching on YouTube, you can give super chats. Any super chats always get read. So if you want to make sure we read your question, that is a way to get your question read. And so uh, what else do we have? Um, review. Hmm? Give us a review. Reviews, yes. Put, put that up. Yes. So if you want to leave us a review, go to lovethepodcast.com slash apologetics live with the a and l in apologetics live is capitalized and I, i'm gonna give a you know we, we also have we do this on the christian podcast community uh go to christianpodcastcommunity.org to listen to other podcasts there and our guest that we're going to have on tonight is one of those podcasts it is uh none other than the author of god doesn't whisper pastor jim osmond and he is the pastor of Kootenai Community Church. And if you want to listen to his weekly sermons, which are excellent, uh, 
you can go to the Kootenai Community Church Morning Worship, which is one of the podcasts. And so that is available there. And so let me see. So do you guys have anything else we need to? Well, yeah. So before we open, you know, so Justin, you know, we, we should probably tell everybody that's, uh, you know, so just so people understand, we had a good time last week. Oh, but, you're, you're feeling guilty now. <laughs> but, but it, well, it was, sure it was, you want to understand. Well, hold on. The, the we, comments I got, Anthony, was it was really heated, but good. Everyone learned everything, learned things, yeah. but they, everyone was like, wow, that was heated. But yet no one, like I was going, this isn't heated. Like this, it was well, a good conversation. Tuesday. What are you talking about? We're, it, we're friends. We're having a good yeah. time with it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but, but having, but having said all that, you know, there is a, there is a good lesson to be learned here, right? Through, through all this. I mean, in our good conversation last week, um, somebody, Chris Hunholtz was in, um, in the chat room, was putting some comments yeah. in. And, and, uh, and before you get to that, cause I did want to bring that, I thought you were going to bring up something else first. So I oh. just, I want, I want to preface it with this is to say this at striving for eternity, we, we take reconciliation serious. Okay. Uh, Anthony found this out when he joined the board at Striving Fraternity. We take accountability. We take reconciliation as a serious thing. And in fact, the reason why you you bring new board members on is you want somebody who has corrected you at some point. And when, when willing somebody to. is willing to correct you, you are willing to ask them to be on your board to help hold you accountable. And uh, and which is which is actually a wonderful thing that uh, that you have as one of your standards. Um, yeah. And so, you know, over the years, I think all three, you know, you, I, and Frank and uh, David have worked well with one another, where if we see something that we say, hey, maybe you should take that Facebook post down. Maybe you should do this. Maybe you should do that, right? Something that might be a blind spot in one of us. Um, we've been pretty quick to do that and pretty quick to hold one another accountable, whether, whether it's really an issue or not, right? In fact, in so, fact, we actually have a, a policy that you and I both have, have been on receiving ends of where we have a policy at Striving Fraternity, if, if somebody sees a Facebook post or any social media post, anyone on the board sees something, and if one of the other board members says, take that down, our first action is to take it down, Turn then it ask down. why. We don't even ask why first. It's just, if, it, it, like, this, is a, this, this is just our policy. So, you know, we, we take this serious, and this leads up to what you were just about to, to get into. Yeah, so you know there was a in, as as Justin and I were having fun at jabbing each other as I was having fun winning while he was trying to defend himself. Mm-hmm, yeah, <laughs> it sure didn't look that way to the but audience as, as, as that was going on. It and seemed to me like everybody was saying, too. "You know, Justin's just killing it, man." <laughs> no, it, it all, but it, it was, we were having a good time going back and forth. Um, uh, Chris Honholtz was was writing in, and uh, and you know I think he took exception to something that that I cracked a joke on uh, to you. And so afterwards, I did reach out to, through Andrew, to get to, to get his phone number, reached out to him, and Andrew suggested it. I was going to do it anyway, but, um, but I'm thankful that Andrew was there to suggest it anyway. And so Chris and I talked afterwards. It's no big deal. You know, he and I uh, had a good conversation afterwards, and, and it's not an issue, right? Um, but it, it's a, it's a, it was a heated topic last week. It's a good topic. It's one that I think needs to be discussed further. And mm-hmm. there's been a number of people reached out to me who said, Anthony, I agree with you. I wish uh, they would have let you talk more. Yeah, um, people called you. I know. <laughs> uh, but, but in any case, um, it, it'll be a good topic for a, a different day. Yeah. yeah. In, in, in the meantime, uh, yes, driving fraternity's policy was was uh, there in in uh, in full force there that Andrew was pretty quick to call me and say, hey, you really got to call Chris and, and uh, make sure you guys are reconciled. I didn't feel any issues. I, Chris said he didn't either. Um, 
you know, and, but either way we talked through it done. So no big deal. Well, just so everybody knows, I mean, I had no clue about all that, um, <laughs> uh, but no, seriously, I didn't. Um, yeah. The thing is, is, is what I want to say in this is I'm kind of an outsider because I'm not a member of striving for attorneys board. I'm not, I don't have any authority there in, in that vein, but these two guys are some of my best friends. And, um, uh, you know, Andrew holds me accountable. Um, he's my mentor, uh, for the seminary I'm going through and he helps me and he guides me. And, um, if I feel like they're in the, in error, I'll tell them too. I, cause I, I mean, I I've dealt with the fear of man for a long time and I got over it. Praise God. I think I did, but you know, sometimes I don't, but you know, I, I try not to, but, but I also, these these gentlemen up here, they hold me accountable. We hold each other accountable. We we don't agree on every single thing under the sun, and and eventually they'll they'll get their theology and their doctrine right, and they'll all. Be, <laughs> uh, no, but, but but even if we don't agree, we love each other uh, more than our disagreements would cause a problem. You know, yep, we we want to we want to hold each other to to the the highest standard, and th- these two guys are, are great mentors and friends. So thank you. Yep, yeah, thank you too, no, so. and, and so that was someone we wanted to address because there were people that saw the comments. We wanted to address that right as the show began. Um, before we get too much further, I know Jim's backstage waiting. Yeah, let's we, bring Jim in. Well, I was going to say, do we want to bring Casey in real quick just so we can plug uh, what's going on at Beulah Baptist Church there real quick? I guess we can do that so we don't have to interrupt Jim then. Yeah. I know, I know once, we've got a fire hose of information coming out. And, yeah. Uh, I'm Would, sure we're going to have a lot of our Amil and Postville friends uh, listening yeah, in. I'm sure they're going to be chomping at the bit for the next uh, two hours. Besides the fact that Jim's a pastor, so he, you know, you can't shut up a pastor. You know, it's just they just keep going and go. Anthony, are you sure you're not a pastor? No. Um, so Casey, not a pastor. <laughs> he's a pastor in training. He's just trying to make sure he goes. Or, you know, that Anthony time thing. So, uh, so Casey, tell us about Beulah Baptist Church, where people can uh, find out about the conference. Yes, sir. I'd love to share a little bit more about Beulah Baptist Church. But first, I have to weigh in and say, you know, Andrew and Anthony, when I was riding around with you guys as a passenger around in the Shepherds Conference over there with John MacArthur and all these other fantastic guys, you two got into it on a couple subjects. And I was in the back seat thinking, man, are these guys friends or enemies? Oh, man. It's, yeah, it is the iron sharpening time. iron. And, and so sometimes when you sharpen iron, you know, it just, it, it cuts a little, you know, some sparks, yeah. right? Yeah. You guys are really sharp then. That's what yeah. I got to say. Well, yeah. And, and the nice thing is, I, you know, I always like the fact that in the end of those discussions, I'm always right. Uh, in your own eyes. Just like the whole book of Judges. <laughs> that last verse in Judges, huh? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right, so it's a Pastor Casey. Yeah, I don't know if this is going to be visible tonight. Yeah, we see it. You see it? All you right. see it. Yeah, pull it, pull it back just a little bit. All right. Man, I tell you what. Well, there's Justin. You can see him at least. There's Anthony and Andrew and, and the host, of course. But, man, I was just able to go to WTLN. They broadcast from um, Daytona down to Tampa. And so I'll be advertising this live uh, the week before um, you guys come down, and this will be on the air on WTLN in between John MacArthur and Chuck Swindoll preaching every morning and then sporadically throughout the rest of the day. So um, we'll have plenty of people um, 
you know, hearing about this conference at Beulah Baptist Church. So I'm thrilled about that. And um, this is the Snatching Them from the Flames seminar that you guys do. And, man, I'm telling you, it is so essential in our own area. We've got people signing up. We've got pastors bringing people. So it's going to be a fantastic time. And if you're anywhere uh, close to being able to come to Central Florida, now's a good time. You can go on our website, BeulahBaptistWG.org, which you see on the screen right there. There's hotels available as well that you can stay at, and you will have a fantastic time for, with us during this seminar. So that's the, the quick download, and um, if you want more information, and I, we could just talk for the next entire two hours on why you guys are coming and how much it's needed. But I just appreciate your willingness to come and help out around here. There's a matter of fact, there's another church being built nearly right across the street on Highway 50 on in the West Orlando area from us. And I went on their website, and again, it's all the experiential, mystical uh, worship along with the shallowest preaching ever on the Pentecostal-leaning side of things. And so when you watch their uh, worship services online, it's just craziness, and it's the farthest thing away from sound doctrine. So nevertheless, our area is inundated with false prophets and Paula White being one of them and so we're going to show up there and and be a blessing to her people Lord willing <laughs> but that's that guys and uh, I want yeah. to shout out to your people and say hey consider coming if you're anywhere close so you've got a crazy place right you had Benny Hinn's old churches in your neck of the hoods Paula yes. White's there now right down the street is Lakeland where the Lakeland Revival Todd Bentley and others have uh, have been that's where Todd Bentley really made his name right was yeah. was yeah. Uh, 45 minutes away from you so yeah you're in the midst of all kinds of garbage plus the social justice nonsense is yeah. really, really big in your area, which I'll be tackling when uh, when we're down there. So, so to, yeah, to it's, find uh, out, it's gonna be fun. To find out more, folks, go to BeulahBaptistWG.org. That's BeulahBaptistWG.org, and you can find out more about the the seminar there. So, I do encourage you guys to go and check that out. So, thanks, Pastor Casey. We'll put you backstage. We'll bring in none other. Then the man, Mr. Jim Osmond, how are you, sir? Yeah, you're muted. Well, we, we got that. Yeah, there, there we go. There I'm we doing go. well, thank you. Yeah, well, it's it's good to have you on, and uh, you know, some of some of the things that that uh, I was thinking we could talk about even tonight is, you know, I got a question in in our uh, Christian apologetics Facebook group. You know, someone wanted to, you know, they wanted to pose a question. Uh, they they were looking for anyone that is really good with interpreting dreams. They're they want to do a podcast on on um, you know dream interpreting dreams and visions. I was I was thinking of recommending you uh, with a it's book not that my you wrote. Gift, but I know a guy. Yeah. <laughs> my wife said she, I should just tell her go find Daniel from the book of Daniel. But uh, I was thinking of suggesting they should go get this guy Jim Osmond. He wrote a book called God Doesn't Whisper. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't do dreams. Okay, oh, so KT is asking, Andrew keeps making me wonder if the guy he tackled is okay. No, <laughs> no, actually, uh, 911 was called, um, but he's still unconscious. It's okay. <laughs> Who did you tackle? <laughs> oh, you missed it. Oh, he, he didn't see that. Oh, well, he'll have to go back and watch. So, uh, you know, so the first question I have for you, though, Jim, before we get into your sermon and all is, you know, I want to know how well do you sleep? Sorry, what was that? How well do you sleep? You sleep well? I, I sleep all right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because if not, what I would suggest is that maybe you should go out to mypillow.com and use promo code oh. SFE 
to make sure you get a good sleep. I mean, they sponsor the show, so we have to give give a, a, a shout out to them, right? So that's not, perfect. Not it's only a good thing it, your spiritual transitions are better than your pillow transitions. Yeah, that's right. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. What Jim would like about my pillow is that they're made in the USA, and I know Jim likes that aspect of it. I do. I do. So, so if you call one eight hundred eight seven three zero one seven six and use promo code SFE for Striving for Eternity, or just go to mypillow.com, click the Radio Listener Square. They have a lot of discounts you can get there, only with <clears throat> the promo code SFE. So check that out today. And uh, we wanted to make sure we got that done so people know about that. Now, Jim, you did a sermon for Resurrection Sunday. Crazy to think about. You did it on the resurrection of of Christ. Crazy Mm -hmm. thing on Resurrection Sunday. Uh, But, you know, listening to it as I, you know, you had made, the whole sermon was good, obviously, but you you made an argument for premillennialism from the resurrection of Christ that really really got me, uh, that I never heard before. And I thought, well, since we have, I mean, obviously we, we know that some of these post-millennials are not watching <clears throat> the news. And, and we know that <clears throat> because they're still waiting for things to get better. Um, and, and if, if Drew from Theology Matters, uh, or Matter of Theology is watching, you know, he's going to be saying that his argument is that, that this is just, the, there's going to be a revival coming. See that all this persecution is going to bring about revival, and and that's going to be uh, what we're going to see is the post mill view. Uh, I, I know you don't hold to that; you, you hold to a biblical view. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, um, <clears throat> what I, what I want to do is is just let you explain some of what you said in your sermon, and then from there get let's get into uh, you know just what is the pre mill view and things like that. Okay, um, I'm I'm kind of surprised a little bit that you even had texted me and asked me if I wanted to come on because what I the comment that I made was kind of a throwaway comment. It really wasn't the point of the whole sermon. I wasn't. Yeah, but it was a good. It was a good point. But it was a good point. <laughs> See, yeah, it, the, it the fact that this is folks, this is the thing with Jim Sermons. His throwaway comments are still brilliant. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> this is unlike other pastors who like they they go and they talk. And it's like you know you're, you're looking for the little gems. The things you he throws away are are the gems too. <laughs> it was it was a, it was just a small observation that I didn't want to let pass, but I. But I wanted people to just connect it to something that was outside of the sermon. So I was preaching from Acts chapter 13. I'll just kind of, I'll, I'll basically give the context of what I was talking about and kind of the argument that Paul makes from this context. And then I'll tie that in with the observation that I make, made about premillennialism. <clears throat> in Acts chapter 13, Paul's first recorded sermon in the church in Antioch, Pisidian Antioch, on his first missionary journey. There is a parallel, it's parallel in structure, in argument, and in texts to the argument that Peter makes on the day of Pentecost, and I'll get into in a moment why Luke does that with Paul's first sermon. So Paul begins that sermon by, by basically tracing the history of the nation of Israel to show that uh, God had fulfilled his promise to— now let me get here to Acts chapter 13 in my, in my Bible real quick, because I'm going I'm to read some passages out of that. Um, Paul traces the history of the nation of Israel to show that God had— promised the nation a savior and God had made a covenant with David. He makes reference to David in verse uh, 22 of 13, where he says um, in verse 20, after these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king and God gave them the Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. 
After he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. And from the descendants of this man, that is from David, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. After John had proclaimed his coming, a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and while John was completing his course, he kept saying, What do you suppose that I am? I'm not he, but behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I'm not ready to untie. So Paul's basic argument was that the arrival of Christ was a fulfillment of prophecy, and of course, John the Baptist announcing the arrival of Christ was a fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, he was the voice when crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. That's Malachi, I think it's chapter 3. So everything about the arrival of Christ fulfilled prophecy. And so Paul's whole argument is that everything then that happened to the Christ from the time that he came in fulfillment of the promise to David, everything that happened was was connected to the promises that God made to the nation and some of those, and particularly some promises that God made to David. So verse 26, says, brethren, sons of Abraham's family and those among you who fear God to us, the message of this salvation has been sent for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers recognize neither him nor the utterances of the prophets, which are every fulfilled these by condemning him. So he's arguing that the, the condemnation of Christ and the crucifixion of Christ, the rejection of the nation was itself also a fulfillment prophecy, which we all recognize. Verse 28, and though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. When they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And he preached to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled this promise to our children, and that he raised up Jesus, as it's also written in the second psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, do not allow your holy one to undergo decay. Verse 36, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay, but he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. So in that passage, the Apostle Paul is arguing that the coming of Christ, the rejection of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, and then the resurrection of Christ are all fulfillments of promises that God made to the nation through the prophets. You'll notice that he specifically cites three different passages as being fulfilled in the resurrection of Christ. A passage from Psalm 2, which where he says in the second Psalm, verse 33, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And Paul is there arguing that that word begotten, which means bring forth, was uh, intended to be a pictorial prophecy of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that the Father would identify the, the particular son of David who would fulfill this promise by raising him from the dead. That would indicate which of David's many, at this point, thousands of descendants um, would have been the, the Messiah, the one who would sit on David's throne. Verse 34, as for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he's spoken in this way, I'll give you the holy and sure blessings of David. That's a quotation from Psalm 55, where God is reiterating the Davidic covenant to the nation, even in the midst of the destruction of the Davidic kingdom in, in Isaiah's time, and the dissolution, basically, of the Davidic kingdom in David's time. He is reiterating the promises that God made to David, saying that these holy and sure blessings spoken of in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God made a covenant with David and swore to seat one of his descendants on his throne and to rule the nations forever, that that promise was still yet to be fulfilled. So Paul is making the argument in verse 34 that the fulfillment of the eschatological promises to David required bodily resurrection. And that those, those eschatological fulfillments, uh, 
could not have been possible if the Son of God were not raised from the dead. So bodily resurrection is essential to the fulfillment of the holy and sure promises to David. Those promises to David, he will seat one of his descendants on his throne. Those promises must be fulfilled. And so my argument, and this was my throwaway comment, my argument was that basically if your eschatology does not require bodily resurrection, you do not have the same eschatology as Peter or Paul. And I say Peter because Peter makes the same argument in Acts chapter 2. He says it even more explicitly. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that, and now David, uh, Peter is quoting from the Old Testament, he knew that, quote, God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne. He looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ. So in Acts chapter 2, Peter is making the same argument that Paul makes in Acts chapter 13, namely that David believed that God would seat one of his descendants on his throne, that that would be the fulfillment of Old Testament promises to David, and therefore God had to raise the Messiah from the dead. Bodily resurrection is necessary. It's essential for the fulfillment of the promises to David. So my question would be, if if uh, you are a millennialist or a post-millennialist, what in your eschatology requires physical resurrection? Because a millennialist and a post-millennialist would say that Christ is today ruling in the hearts of his people. He's ruling over the spiritual kingdom. He's not ever going to sit on the throne of David and rule fully in this world, in, this king, in, in the millennial kingdom, a literal, physical, political kingdom on this earth, as it is, it is right now with the curse lifted, but prior to the regeneration of all of creation. Post-millennialists and amillennialists would say that, that that is not going to happen. And therefore, I ask you, uh, post-millennialists and amillennialists, what in your theology, eschatologically, requires bodily resurrection? Because all of the promises of David, according to an amillennialist and a post-millennialist, can be fulfilled without bodily resurrection. In a, in a spiritual resurrection, or a spiritual rule, or a spiritual presence in the heart, on a spiritual throne at God's, at God's side. So, therefore, since Paul is arguing that bodily resurrection was essential, necessary, for the fulfillment of the promises to David, a literal, physical, bodily resurrection was essential to that, and that those promises could not be fulfilled without bodily resurrection, therefore, Peter and Paul were not post-millennialists or amillennialists. So that's the gist of my argument. <laughs> And so, just to remind folks, if you want to come in and dialogue with us, <clears throat> go to apologeticslive.com, click on the duck icon there for StreamYard, and you can join us there. Um, we, we, now, there was a Facebook user that said, uh, post-millennialists completely affirm a bodily resurrection, so I don't see your argument here. You're muted. I had to take a drink there and clear my throat. Uh, um, that's not my argument. Strong argument because my argument is not the post-millennialists and amillennialists reject the doctrine of bodily resurrection. They believe it's soteriologically necessary, but they do not believe that it's eschatologically necessary. So I'm not suggesting the post-mill and amill people deny bodily resurrection. That's not what I'm saying. I believe that all my post-mill brethren believe that Christ was raised physically from the dead. My question is, what in your eschatology requires bodily resurrection? Requires it to fulfill it. So, you know, can you give, I mean, I think most folks are probably familiar with the three, you're mentioning a-mail, post-mail, pre-mail. 
just give maybe a quick overview of each of the different positions so people who may or may be new to this uh, can understand what they are. All right. So by necessity, I have to paint with a pretty broad brush here because there are going to be different ways of cashing out each of these eschatologies. But generally speaking, in the broadest possible terms, um, all millennialists believe that there is going to be no millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, not a thousand year uh, reign like we see promised in Revelation chapter 20. They would say that that is they don't believe that there's going to be a millennium. Um, Some of them would say that uh, some of them that full preterists, I think, would say that. This is um, uh, this right here. Our state right now is going to continue as it is until Christ returns and basically burns up this present creation and creates a new heavens and a new earth. Postmillennialists would say that uh, Christ is going to return after post the thousand year reign described in Revelation 20. So our postmillennial brethren would say that Christ is sorry, that Satan is bound at this time right now. And that this is the millennium, and that the thousand years is not a literal thousand years, but it's simply a figure of speech for a long period of time. So right now we're at least 2,000 years into this uh, shindig. And so it could be another thousand years or another 5,000 years or the 10,000 years before Christ's return. But eventually, over the course of time, things will get progressively better and better. And there will be like like a stock market that goes up and down and up and down. Um, we're in the downtime right now. Things are getting bad in our country. It might be bad for a period of time. But overall, it's trending upward. It's all getting better. And after we have Christianized the whole world and preached the gospel to the whole world and, and won converts and basically made a established a Christianized culture, society, and world, then Christ will return. So we will we will usher in his return by the Christianization of any everything, by uh, making him rule and reign over everything, post-millennialism writ large. Premillennialism is the belief that uh, the bodily resurrection is required because Christ is going to return to this earth, and he is going to set up a kingdom and reestablish David's kingdom and David's throne, and he's going to sit on that throne in Jerusalem, and he will rule and reign over the nations, and that rule and reign will last for a thousand years. During that time, which is, according to premillennialists, future, Satan will be bound, and the curse will be lifted in, to some extent, and Christ will rule and reign here over a political kingdom and fulfill all the promises made to David and to all the Old Testament saints, so that the Old Testament saints were looking forward not to the existence of a heavenly kingdom, but the Old Testament saints were promised this Messiah who would come and rule the nations and reign and live forever. And of course, the, the necessity for him to physically live for a thousand years would require that death no longer had dominion over him, that he was no longer subject to death. And so for that reason, the Messiah would have to be raised from the dead. It would be impossible for a a descendant of David, who was just an ordinary human being, to assume the throne forever and never hand that kingdom off to a son or any other descendant. Uh, Instead, it would be required for him to fulfill the promise that this son will rule the nations and he will rule and reign forever and there will be no end to kingdom. And to his government, there will be no end, and it will expand continually. That would require somebody who would live forever. So if the Messiah were to come back and to die, and then to rise again, so that death no longer has dominion over him, then he could fulfill all the promises to David, to literally sit on David's throne in Jerusalem, and to rule over that messianic kingdom for a thousand years without dying. So post-premillennialism, of course, has to have bodily resurrection to be to, to, as, as essential to fulfill those promises. Okay, so we got a question here from Kofi for you. He says, question for Pastor Jim. How would you answer the claim that those prophecies were never intended to be understood literally? 
I would say they they are in the context. What what, what promise? What prophecies are you talking about specifically? The promises to David. That would be the question, I think. So, if you're trying to say uh, the old te- the promises or promises or prophecies regarding the eternal kingdom, then I would say that some of those some of those promises and prophecies come in the very same context, sometimes in the very same sentence as prophecies that were fulfilled literally. So, when you look at the prophecies and the promises concerning the first coming of Christ. We don't read of him being born in Bethlehem and say, well, that's probably not really Bethlehem. We don't read of him being born of a virgin. It's probably a symbolic symbol for something else. It's probably a metaphor for something else. No, all of the prophecies regarding the first coming of Christ were fulfilled literally. Those same, pro- those same prophets spoke of the second coming of Christ. So I think that God has already demonstrated how he intends prophecies to be interpreted by, by how he has fulfilled all of the prophecies that have already been fulfilled. And that's that's literally not symbolically or metaphorically or spiritually. Well, and he says, Kofi ends up saying, yes, the prophecies that would would suggest that the earthly kingdom made to David and reaffirmed elsewhere. And, and yeah. you know, this is a thing a lot of people think that uh, when they think of like premillennialism, they think that's more of a newer view, a newer doctrine. People tend to think well, that... Paul, Paul held to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing. Uh, there's a lot of people who think that uh, Augustine, for example, is is many people look at him as really the father of amillennialism, and yet what you end up seeing is with with you know Augustine, and I wrote a paper uh, on his view of Revelation, specifically chapter twenty. And the interesting thing with Augustine is that he believed in a you know in a literal thousand year kingdom. He just thought he was in it, and so so realistically. Both premillennialism and amillennialism both get their roots from the same guy, right? And that's that's Augustine. I mean, from the scriptures, but I mean, they're seeing that both can turn to Augustine because Augustine did teach that there'd be a thousand year literal kingdom, but he would also teach the things that would be used for amill, saying that it's a, a period of time because he was teaching that they were in it. And that was yeah. that was the thing a lot of people don't understand is that the on mill view that we have today, I don't think really was finalized until Pope Innocence the um, second after a thousand A.D. Like people yeah. are going, hey, uh, it's been a thousand years. Like they were expecting something to happen then, and they didn't realize. And then, then you just redefine a thousand years to be symbolic of a correct. long period of time. Yeah, and and I I wasn't able to find. Uh, early church fathers, not saying that they, they're not out there, but I wasn't able to find any of the early church fathers or, or even Catholic writers prior to 1000 AD that took the thousand years as figurative until that time. And so that's a case where what I believe is that that's something that, you know, they, which is what premillennials get accused of all the time, that we, we get our theology from the newspapers. Um, I think that's what happened with all millennialism. They, they, it, 1000 AD came and went, and now they are reinterpreting their theology based on current events. Yeah. Well, doesn't Christ yeah. say something about learning to discern the times? I mean, I, I, I mean, I hear this argument all the time that, that, oh, you're getting your theology from the newspapers, but Christ said you'll know it by the seasons you can discern the times. And, and, and it's, it's, he's making that point clear on an eschatological point of view. Um, at that time, and he's talking about later on. He says, "He says you will know the seasons when you see when you see of of um, 
as it was in the days of Noah, as a, t- a time of Lot, you will understand these things based on those those truths. I think it's it's a straw man to throw out there and say, oh, you're just looking at the newspaper. Well, I mean, if you look at Luke uh, 21, you see that there's going to be uh, increases of earthquakes. You're going to see uh, more and more uh, destruction going on and greater and greater events that are going on. This is prior to the what we would call, what we consider to be the rapture, or if, if you want to say, oh, well, it, it doesn't say it there. There's a purpose. But uh, Luke, uh, Luke 21 actually makes it clear that it's going to get worse and worse, and everybody tries, tries to say, no, it's going to get better and better. That's not what the Bible is clear about, as far as I can, as, as far as I can tell from reading it. Um, the question comes, I, I do want to ask a question, because somebody else had posted it up here, and I, I couldn't find it again. <clears throat> um, what do you say about the argument that uh, the, the, the dispensationalist takes the, 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 the entire Bible literally and in a wooden sense, and that we, we t- you know, the, the, the true spiritualist, I guess you could say it, and I'm, I'm not trying to cast aspersions, but that's just what I've heard, is, um, you know, in a, in a true spiritual sense, we should take it allegorically as Augustine did. What would I say to that? Yeah. Well, I would say that uh, dispensationalists don't take the Bible in a wooden literal sense. When, when Jesus said, I am the door, I don't read that and think, oh, he's made of wood and hinges and has a doorknob and I, that that's a wooden literal sense. I, I, the dispensationalist would say that we take the Bible in the sense in which it was intended, the text in the sense in which it was intended. So we have room in our in our hermeneutics for allegory for or not sorry not allegory for metaphors and symbols and figures of speech and um, symbolic uh, uh, apocalyptic literature and poetry and different genres all come into that. Um, the question is how would the how would the original the original hearer of the promises to David, how would he, they have understood what God promised David? I will seat one of your descendants on your throne. Is it wooden literal to say that David would have understood God to be promising him to seat one of his descendants on his throne? And all of the Old Testament promises and prophecies regarding the coming kingdom, all of them say the exact same thing, that the Messiah would come, that he would take David's throne, and that he would rule and reign over the nations forever, that the nations would bring their worships and their offerings up to Jerusalem, and they would worship, that Egypt would worship the Messiah, that Moab would worship the Messiah, that that all nations would do this and gather together, and there would be a rule of prosperity and peace and justice and righteousness um, you know, to take all of that symbolically requires that sometimes in the middle of an Old Testament prophecy, you have to change your hermeneutic from a literal interpretation of the first coming of Christ and the promises that were uh, made concerning that, and then switch hermeneutical grids or frameworks to an allegorical, metaphorical, or symbolic framework in order to interpret all of the promises regarding the second coming of Christ. So if John had intended to say that the Messiah would just rule for a long period of time, there were words in Greek for long periods of time, eons. But he uses the term 6,000 or 1,000 years six mm-hmm. times in Revelation 20, verses 1 through uh, 7 or 8 there. He is, he, and some people will say, well, it, there's one passage that talks about the length of this kingdom. Right, there's only one passage that talks about the length of this kingdom. There's only um, one of the Gospels that goes through... Um, some of the details of other aspects of Christ's life, but just because we find something only once in Scripture doesn't make it less true than things that we find three Amen. or four times in Scripture. So you're John is simply true. take. You're yeah, John is simply that, yeah. 
Yeah, John's simply taking us to that end time event, the kingdom of Christ, and he's giving us a detail that the Old Testament did not give us. John doesn't say in the book of Revelation, okay, now all of these promises that were made to David and to his offspring, all of them now are to be interpreted spiritually. John doesn't do that. Instead, John says that that promised kingdom that all the Old Testament Jews would have understood, he doesn't overturn their understanding of the kingdom. Instead, he says it's going to be a thousand years. This is what's going to look like during this time, Satan's going to be bound, and John puts it in its eschatological timeline or framework, but he doesn't overturn the interpretation of the, the Jews had of the kingdom. And you see the same thing at the beginning of the book of Acts. We started talking about the book of Acts, chapter 13 and chapter 2. The beginning of the book of Acts, at Jesus' ascension, the disciples came to him and said, is it now that you're going to establish the kingdom? And Jesus mm-hmm. didn't stop and say, oh, hey, hold on, I just spent 40 days with you, and I forgot to tell you, all the promises <laughs> regarding the kingdom— those are, those are all interpreted differently. It's, oh, I wish I wish I didn't have to go. I could lay all of this out for you. Instead, he says, it's not your business to know. The he doesn't say that the kingdom was not going to be established. What were those disciples expecting? The same thing they expected before his crucifixion and resurrection, that he was going to establish the kingdom. Well, now after his crucifixion and his resurrection, of course, this seemed like ideal time for him to establish the kingdom. He's victorious over death. He could set up David's throne. He could rule for however long that they thought the millennial kingdom was going to last at that time forever. And never die again. And so they, of course, are asking him the natural thing. Is it now the time you're going to set up the kingdom? And he just he doesn't say the nature of the kingdom has changed. The promises have changed. Now we're fulfilling them entirely differently than what you expected. He just said, no, the timing is not. One thing that... Um Hold on, An- Anthony was going to ask something. Pull up here He's, for your yeah. There, there's a question here because I, I I hear this strong. I think it's a strawman all the time. But okay, Jim. So here's somebody who wrote: Is Jesus not ruling at the right hand of the Father over His children as we speak? Yeah. That, what so what? Is that what we should expect? <laughs> or or is there more to come? Well, I mean, well, we all would say, even even if we say that, yeah, he is, we would all say that there's more to come. There's still future aspects of that rule and the reign. So why should we not expect that? Why do we think that his ruling at the right hand of the Father now over his children is the fulfillment of the Davidic promise? And this gets us back to what we started at the beginning with Acts 13. He could do that without bodily resurrection. So the fulfillment of the promise to David, bodily resurrection was not necessary to do that. Paul and Peter argued that bodily resurrection was essential to the fulfillment of the promises of David. And if they're making that argument, they were not post-millennialists or amillennialists. Because a post-millennialist and an amillennialist could not argue that bodily, physical, literal resurrection from the dead is essential for the fulfillment of the promises to David and thereby their eschatology. Yeah, they can right. say it's a bonus, because, because they can't he, say he it's is, essential. He is reigning and ruling, but not in the way that King David was reigning and ruling which is what exactly. all the promises were, that we would have an eternal kingdom through one person that was going to be an eternal king and reigning and ruling as David. And that's yeah. that, mm-hmm. that's how David He's not understood doing- that promise. And, and that's why Peter, in chapter 2, says, because God, David knew that God had promised to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Yeah, exactly. David looked forward and predicted the resurrection. Now, yeah. think about that Acts is chapter- only an argument that a premillennialist can make. Yeah. Well, Second yeah. Peter uh, three. Um, I was going to say this. Second Peter three. Uh, Chris uh, had this question or statement he wanted to make that um, he says, talk, talking to me, he says, you realize that from the second century forward, there's always been someone crying that Christ will return in their lifetime. And then he says, Martin Luther, Luther was sure that it was the case. And then my response to that is in Second Peter three, uh, we are warned. Verse three. Know you not that. Um, 
Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come and that with their mocking, following with their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it has from the, from the beginning of creation. For when, the, uh, uh, for when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, heaven existed long ago and, and the earth was uh, formed out of the water and by the water through which the world is destroyed. And we can go on and continue, but the the whole point behind that is, is there's always been mockers that have always said, Hey, look, you know, Christ isn't going to come. And Peter says, they've always been people. And in the last days, it'll be more and more and more people that will deny the return of Christ. Now, yeah. now that's the argument that I'm going to go okay. with. So, so we, we, before, before you, I know you're going to say something, I think before you do, let me just uh, bring in someone that's in the backstage here. Now, th- this person, <clears throat> I don't know, Jim, uh, you, you may or may not recognize him. Uh, I don't know if you know who this person is. Uh, I think he once attended your church uh, at some time before. This guy, I tell you, he follows <laughs> oh, me around like a lost puppy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we know he has a little... Well, he calls it a puppy, but it's more like a rat with hair. <laughs> Welcome, Justin Peters. <laughs> hey, guys. Man, I got, I got no respect. No respect. <laughs> hey, so, so uh, another question that we did have, and you know, Justin, you can weigh in on this as t- too, but this Kofi, for some reason, wants to advocate for the devil, but he says um, another devil's advocate question. <laughs> I don't know why he wants to be an advocate for the devil, he, you know, but okay. So he asked this question for you. Uh, why does it, this even matter? Haven't we got bigger fish to fry? Uh, discussing this is a distraction from, uh, from be, being on the offense. So is this, is this really worth having discussions on? I'll take that one. Yeah, there are bigger fish to fry, but why should we fry all the fish? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is a fun one. <laughs> so while yeah, we're I mean, in there, 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 there are huge issues that we're fighting over in our culture, but uh, we have discussed those. So it's not like we have to neglect any of those things in order to have a, a lively discussion about the nuances of theology. And I do think that eschatology is is uh, it's not an essential issue, but it is an important issue, and it, it does end up working its way into everything that you teach and preach in some way. Your, your eschatological framework. Yep. is always in the background. And so having having clarity on these things and discussing these things, I think, could be helpful. Yeah. So here's a fish to fry. I say this all the time, um, but I'll let Melissa take the heat tonight. What's scary about the post-mill position is that it is very similar to what people in the NAR believe with a seven-mountain mandate. Does anyone else see this? Yes, every one of us sees this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's there. fair to... To be fair to the post-millennial brethren, there are a number of post-millennial people who would who would call uh, bunk on the new apostolic reformation and their eschatology yeah. and their theology. Yeah, they, they, you know, just because there's similarities there doesn't necessarily mean that they would advocate that. But yes, there is similarities. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, here's a question for you, Pastor Jim, uh, from Chris again. So, how does Revelation affect you practically? What application can be made to your life and to the lives of the original audience? Um, to the lives of the original audience, I think written at a time when the church was being persecuted, I, and I would take uh, around the 70 AD for the writing of Revelation. I, I'd prefer an earlier date for that. And post-mill and amill people and preterists are surprised to hear me say that. But um, I have no problem dating Revelation 
right around the destruction of the temple. And it writ, even written in that context, either right before or right after the destruction of the temple, even written in that context, I think that one of the applications is that um, it, it demonstrated to them that ultimately their suffering was under the sovereign control of God and that that suffering could get worse and that suffering would get worse and there would be difficult times ahead, but ultimately Christ is the victor. And all of the affliction and the persecution and sufferings that would come to God's people cannot overthrow God's ultimate purpose and aim, which is the establishment of his kingdom and the ultimate, his ultimate victory of, in reconciling all of creation to himself. Okay, Amen. so so we got, uh, just real quick, and uh, someone is saying, a Facebook user, I don't know who it is, but just says, I need to personally thank Justin's ministry for teaching me that the word of faith, what the word of faith is, prosperity gospel is, and NAR is, and that I was put... Uh, I was put a part of this and needed to repent. So who, whoever the Facebook user is, they wanted to encourage you, Justin. <clears throat> Justin, do, do you, what, do you, what do you think about Anthony's question about the relationship post-mill, the similarities between that and, and NAR? Yeah, it, it, I, I mean, I think we all see the, the similarities, but as, as Jim said, in fairness, you know, I, I know post-mill and they would, cry uh decry the word of faith in ar just as strongly as i would so it, it's kind of a slippery slope though i mean it's it's post mail is headed that direction but they certainly don't go to the extremes that um you know that the word faith in ar do uh, but they're 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 kind of <laughs> they've got their toes in the water so to speak but uh but in fairness to them they would they would decry those movements as heretical as heretical as do we so but um yeah there's undeniable similarities it's it's a it's a difference in degree primarily okay we have someone backstage here who's for folks who've been watching the show for many years i'll know this name but vincent is backstage wrote him in vincent you have any questions for us tonight i'm not can y'all hear me yep I'm not sure how to do this anymore, man. Man, <laughs> it has been many. It has been over a year yeah. or so that, since it's you've been, been on the a show. While. Yeah, we've been on a uh, Discord, so I got to get used to something else. <laughs> <laughs> um, the only thing I was curious then, what is, what is y'all's interpretation of like Matthew uh, twenty-eight, like sixteen through twenty, where it says, "All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me." A lot of the uh, you know, post-mill types will use that to say this This is a command to carry this out in a post-mill fashion. What is y'all's thought on, on that? Who wants to take that one? Because I'm not... So I'm assuming... I'm assuming that the, the gist of the question is that because Christ has been given all authority, we are to make that authority to bear in this world through exactly. um, establishing his kingdom here. That that is exactly how they interpret that. So, yeah, I think it's a non sequitur in terms of logically. Just because he has all authority in, in heaven and earth does not mean that he has given that authority to us. Nor would I say that that means that. Uh, therefore, the expression of that authority is going to work itself out through what we do in here on earth. Um, he has that authority, but not now. But at some point, he will use that authority to establish the Davidic messianic kingdom. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm I'm reading here. You're talking about the Great Commission, Matthew 28, and you know 18 through uh, 20. And you think about what he's saying. He says, "All authority has been in heaven and earth has been given unto me." 
He's not saying that you have it because he tells us specifically what our job to do. Because he has all the authority, we are to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're trying to say that that the command to go out into all the nations and make disciples of all the nations is to is to take dominion over them, uh, he actually refers to baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, right. You know, so and he says to teach them all that I've commanded you to observe all I command you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Um, what's the reference to the end of the age? Is it is it saying that the end of the age is seventy A.D.? Is it saying that the end of the age is one sixty eight? Is it saying the end of the age is? I mean, give me a timeline here because because what we're not seeing is that we are to exercise dominion and take over the world, but we're, we're supposed to proclaim the gospel of Christ and the what Christ did, right? We're supposed to be proclaiming his doctrine and his, his commands and making disciples and baptizing. That's what we take. We take the gospel of Christ. We take the, those truths uh, in that direction. So um, I, I don't know how I would go any further than that. You know, on that that that, that verses. Yeah, I agree, but I I guess that's just their uh, the interpretation is that yeah yeah you're supposed to increase in this world continually. You know? Well, but one thing you got to think about is you got to admire the fact that you have uh, godly men, godly women, who take seriously that you know Christ is the King. I I, I mean, look. Uh, every post millennial and and all millennial, you know, whatever th- those groups, um, they have their reasons for for what they believe, and you know, praise God, that's 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 where they're going for it. Um, um, you know, there are those that that I listen to in, in seminary classes. I'm I'm listening to, and they would say, um, you know, I'm I'm post mill or I'm all mill or whatnot, and every one of them are strong to say that there is a limit to their millennial view that if you don't believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ and you don't believe in his physical return, that you're anathema. They would say that that is heretical. And, um, and, and so we say that, that, you know, even of course in this passage here, um, I am with you always into the end of the age. We're looking for Christ to return physical, you know? And and so I would respect my amillennial and postmillennial brothers and sisters that, that hold to a view that Christ is going to return and so we're going to go proclaim the gospel to everyone, everywhere. Um, I, I would disagree with uh, a lot of their you know, positions on things, but I, I, I love them as, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. I, I'm the correct view, by the way. I'm historic pre-mill, so. <laughs> so there was a question uh, earlier. I'm trying to find it. But um, someone was asking the question, is is uh Pre is pre mill pre millennialism the same as pre trib? So we we kind of jumped into the major views, but pre millennialism has three separate views. Jim, you want to explain the three lower views of that, or the three views that are within? Actually, there, there could be more. There could be a fourth in that's under the pre millennialism. Yeah. So inside pre millennialism, the pre trib view has to do with the timing of the rapture concerning in relationship to the tribulation. And so you can be a premillennialist and be pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, or pre-wrath, any of those positions, and still hold to premillennialism. 
because millennialism, your view on the your view of the millennium, not the tribulation. And so, uh, by premillennialism's eschatology, the tribulation will precede the millennium. Christ will return at the end of that tribulation, establish that one thousand year reign of Christ. So, in relation to the rapture of the church, or I should say, the rapture of the church in relation to the tribulation. You could hold one of four views. That is, number one, that Christ will return before he pours out his wrath on the nation of Israel and the unbelieving world, and he will snatch his church out. And then most tribes would say that there's at least a seven-year period of time in which that wrath is going to be poured out. A mid-tribe would believe that the rapture is going to happen not in the first three and a half years, and there will be a peace treaty between the nation of Israel and the Antichrist. But at the point in the middle of the tribulation where the Antichrist sets up himself in the temple to worship as God and breaks his peace treaty with the nation of Israel and comes against Israel um, to persecute it and try and, and destroy the Jews, that that rapture will happen at that point. And a post-tribulational rapture position would be that Christ, or sorry, that Christ is going to snatch his church up at the end of that seven-year period of tribulation. So that you'll have seven years, three and a half years of relative peace, three and a half years of tribu- of the great tribulation. And at the end of that, Christ will rapture his church and then return with it immediately following that to establish the millennial reign of Christ. And then Marvin Rosenthal back in the, I'm going to say late 80s, 80s early 90s, yeah. maybe it was 1990s, came up with the pre-wrath position, which is sort of a modified mid-trib position. Yes. Yeah. So there, uh, Melissa was asking this question, uh, and, and I don't know if, who, who you wants to answer this one, but... Uh, can you guys touch on replacement theology with regards to Israel? So any of you guys want to address that one? Re- replacement theology is, is basically the view, as the name implies, that the church has replaced Israel. And so all of the promises that God made to Israel in the Old Testament have been fulfilled in the church, basically, is kind of the Cliff Notes version of that. Um, I think it's very dangerous teaching. Uh, I, I don't believe that, I, I don't hold to replacement theology. Um, I believe that, kind of like what Jim was saying earlier when I when I first came in, that you would, you would seemingly have to just randomly change your hermeneutical grid to accommodate for that. You would kind of have to jump the historical grammatical approach to hermeneutics literal historical grammatical approach to hermeneutics just kind of jump the tracks from that and and start allegorizing or spiritualizing these promises that God made to Israel uh, to accommodate that and, and replace Israel with the church. And um, I just, I don't see that. I don't see any reason to do that. I don't see any theological reason to do it. I don't see any uh, hermeneutical reason to do that. And um, not that we base our theology off of current events or what we see, but uh, there, there, there's something to be said for the fact that Israel is the only nation in the history of the planet that has ever existed, ceased to exist, and then come back into existence like it did in 1948. It's the only nation in the, in the history of the planet that that's ever happened to. Hebrew is the only language that was ever spoken ceased to be spoken and is now spoken again. And so it's it's it's, it's almost like God has a plan for Israel or something. I don't know. It's just uh, <laughs> weird. But um, you know, it, it's uh, I, I I would think it's it would have been easier, I guess, in a sense, to have been amillennial before you know before the nineteen forties. But uh, I don't know. It's it's very very compelling. So. 
Yeah. So, so let's. Uh, I don't know if the, and that was the that was the. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Andrew. Go ahead. I was going to switch gears. I was so. going to say, and that was the the prevalent position from the the millennial post millennial position until you had you know the the first great war. You know, they, they called it the war to end all wars, and then they had a what? Another one. <laughs> it was, was kind of saying, look, you know, everything isn't getting all better. Um, and, and I mean, you know, it's it's the 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 idea is according to a dispensational point of view is according to Jesus, you know, the scripture makes it clear that it's it's uh, evil times will wax worse and worse, and it's going to get uh, more and more like we see right now with pastors going to prison and 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 hardships coming and people being murdered for the name of Christ and things like that. I think it's an important conversation to have. You know, it's like somebody said here just a moment ago that, um, you know, that we love our brothers and sisters in the Lord in, in every direction, in whatever position they take. And um, that, you know, while these um, uh, these views are important to have, you know, we just have them with grace and mercy. And um, I, I tell you, one thing that gets me is every one of us are going to be corrected when we get to heaven. <laughs> so I'm, I'm okay with, with saying this is what I hold to. And if I'm right, praise God. I, I, I hope I am. I'm trying my best to do uh, my very best in understanding the Word of God. And, and I know Jim is and Andrew and all of us, Justin. I know we're trying to understand the Word of God as, as best we can. And I just want to make sure that we understand it in grace and kindness. Um, so um, Chris Harris, you, he said that covenant theology is not replacement theology. And, uh, and that's what um, that's what um, is is said a lot of times. But, you know, to be understood is, is what they say is it's not replacement because it's always been it's always been this way. So we're not actually. Uh, uh, speaking of replacement theology, so I just want to make sure that that, that his point of view is is pointed out clearly. Just to be fair, yeah, yeah. So, um, I'm just seeing someone. Someone, it's Justin Peters TikTok has found my for your page. I don't get what he's saying. Justin Peters TikTok. Justin Peters has never been on TikTok. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> now look. There, there is, uh, there are fake accounts yeah. all over YouTube, and they, yeah, I just they, reported one that was a, a YouTube face fake book account where they, yeah. they they were made it look like your page, and then said that you were having visions and dreams, you know, on yeah, your own video. These knuckleheads, <laughs> I think they're all from Nigeria. These knuckleheads, <laughs> you know, hey, 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 on, hey. did oh, you want oh. me to take that down? Yeah, I, I can <laughs> stop that if you want. <laughs> Your own pastor. I'm not from Nigeria. I'm North Idaho, man. <laughs> All right. So we got a, we got someone that uh, shift gears maybe from end times. Uh, a longtime listener, supporter, uh, Joe Conkle is with us. He was trying to get in last time, but the Wi-Fi wasn't so good. So, Joe, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So you got, hey, a, you got a question for us tonight. Yeah, I did. I was um, wondering how um, amillennial, postmillennial would interpret Daniel chapter 9, the uh, 70th week. Yeah, this is a good one. So, it's a good question. Uh, and this, I think you had this question from um, when, when uh, we had someone come in. I'm just trying to pull up my scriptures here, so I'm not looking off this way, but move it over here. Um, but this was a question that uh, we had raised some time ago, 
right? And and this is the thing that I've seen with this is the seventy weeks passage, and this is one I think is the strongest. I believe this is the strongest premillennial passage uh, because you really have a problem interpreting this any other way. In my view, um, most. Everybody that I've spoken to with this passage will take. There's three breakdowns here of the seventy of the seven year periods, right? So you have the sixty, you have the seven year period, a sixty two seven year period, and then a one seven year period. And it is everyone will take these as literal years, right? And and they they match with history. There's the decree to rebuild the city. We have a seven seven year period. Uh, or sorry, 49, 49 year period, which is the first the seven weeks, and then there's a sixty two year period. So the, the for that forty nine years is the building of the city. We then have the extra sixty two years brings us into the time of Christ, and then it says in verse twenty six. Then after sixty two weeks, so there's it allows for a break in time there, and then this final one week covenant. So I, th- I don't see how anyone can interpret this outside of, if you're going to take this literal, outside of a premillennial view. Now, what you'll see, what I've seen uh, millennials do, is they'll take the first 69 weeks literal. Some will even take the first half of that, that three and a half year period. If you look at the, at the passage, it, it is going to say that, in verse 27, and he will make a, f- a firm con- uh, covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he will s- he will put a stop to sacrifices and grain offerings. So some will say that it's li- even literal, and that for- that middle, that three and a half years was the was the ministry of Christ. He brings an end, but the problem they always have is that last either seven year period or three and a half year period, whichever way they go. Because they have to take that figurative. And there's nothing in the text that I can see that lets you take everything literal and then that last section as figurative. And so that's the thing that I see here. Now, the only, the only consistent position that I've heard is from one amillennialist when I pointed this out, where he then switched to say that this is all figurative. Since, you know, it was a thing where he was... Uh, you know, he, he he saw the the logic and then kind of stopped and said, "Well, it's all figurative." He was originally saying it's literal, so I I, I would say it's very hard. Um, did Justin Peters just fall down? He just fell. He over. Just, did he just fall? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love you, brother. It's it's the palsy. I mean, nobody's allowed to pick on you now and everything. It's like, yeah. oh man, it's you know, yeah. in the truck. I can't cerebral palsy. <laughs> walk up my stairs. I can't cerebral palsy. <laughs> hey, it works. Yeah. It's convenient. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you fine. what, when you get in heaven and you get your glorified body, we're going to make fun of you for all this. <laughs> He's just going to be running around. We won't even see him. He's just going to be like, I, I can run. I can run. <laughs> it's the only intersectionality point I've got, man. Got <laughs> hey, you know, I, I love telling this story, but uh, uh, a friend of ours, J- Justin Peterson, ours, we have a friend, Ed Romain, Ro- Romain and he, I love telling this story. He and I were in New York City at, at the uh, doing some evangelism in, in the city, and 
just picture the scene. Ed is in like there was a circular area. Ed is in the center in his wheelchair. He's got a headset on, connected to two wireless speakers, and he's preaching the gospel. Okay, and this this big guy just he's trying to figure out who's preaching, and he's getting upset. He actually turns to the speaker, the 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 you know the head, the speaker itself, you know the the audio speaker, and he just yells at it. He goes, "Whoever you are, I'm gonna punch you in the nose when I find you." And so Ed just goes, "You're gonna punch a handicapped man." Because <laughs> Ed has cerebral palsy worse than than Justin does, and all of a sudden this guy just zoomed in and noticed and looked at Ed, and there's Ed, and he's just there eye to eye, and the guy starts walking over to Ed, and I'm like getting nervous, like I, I'm like walking over to like try to protect Ed, and the guy just walks up to Ed, gives him a fist pump, and goes, "Keep up the good work, man," and walks off. <laughs> and I'm like, I said, like after Ed was done preaching, I was like, "What was that?" He goes. Man, a handicapped man can get away with anything. I'm like, I would have been punched in the nose. He gives you a fist bump. <laughs> so just blame it on the palsy. That's okay. <laughs> so, so I mean, that's how I would, I'd answer the question, Joe. I, I don't think there is a good argument that you can make when it comes to Daniel 9, other than to say it's all figurative, that, there's, that none of these have anything to do with actual years. But then you have the problem that so much of this is very, it seems very literal. So then you have to figure out what does the rest of this mean then? And and then you start really playing games, I think, with the scripture if you're going to do that. I don't know if any of you guys have any any other views with with Daniel nine. No. Okay. Does that answer the question? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. And and actually, you wanted to ask this some time ago, but it comes in more fitting for this show. So. <laughs> yeah, it worked out well. All right. Well, so, you can have me on today finally. Yeah. Is Mike Stockwell listening in the background? Because I know he's there. No, uh, we were watching a, a Christian movie that's that I was really, really hoping that Theonomist would get in there and reclaim television movies and make them so much better. But, you know, <laughs> they did well, it. They're trying right now. <laughs> it's one of their one of their uh, mountains. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell yeah, you we got to work on that. Just seemed like nothing else is working either. You know, I mean, <laughs> Christians can't even make good Christian movies. Forget about the rest of media; they can't even <laughs> make good Christian movies. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, so for anybody in the in the Cleveland, Ohio area, um, Joe and uh, and uh, Mike Stockler are coming up to Cleveland tomorrow, and we're going to do awesome. some preaching at Cleveland State University. And then have some fellowship at my house afterwards. So, and everyone's invited. Church, everyone's invited. If you just heard, everyone that. here is invited. If you guys want to come to Cleveland, <laughs> so uh, you know, any other questions you got, Joe? Not nothing I can think of. No, okay. I mean, uh, uh, you guys uh, do a good job answering questions. That when I watch the show and something comes to mind, you guys seem to answer it. So, yeah. keep up the good work. Well, thank you. Praise the Lord. Thank you very much. Good to see you again, Jim. Good seeing you again, buddy. <laughs> All right. So, um, so here, here's a, you know, we, we've talked about end times, but we're having both Justin and Jim in here, uh, you know, and and we do have our cluck commander here. He's he's he showed his chickens earlier. Yeah. There we go. Oh yeah, I had the chickens up while Jim was talking. Did, you know, see chicken fighting them? Did I just see one peck at the other? Well, yeah, actually, were, it was terrible. Yeah, there actually is. Do you know where the you know the whole idea of the the chickens pecking is? It's or a pecking order is when you feed chickens, they peck on each other to who's going to be the first to eat. And so, 
that's the idea of pecking order. But um, you do that when people put sushi in front of you. No, I just eat the sushi. I don't. I don't give you time to. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Justin does that with Baloop, but that's okay. Um, he he makes sure he's first to eat that one. How would I do it? That one. That one. No, it, it doesn't oh, matter. Man, Neither one of you want Baloot. It, it's sweet. You know, yeah, I'm sure. So, uh, since so we've got Jim and Justin here, let me ask this question. Um, in in, in kind of Christian current events, um, we've had some things going on. Uh, so let me just ask your take. We've had a well-known preacher uh, who has left the Southern Baptists and now uh, repented of her her uh, you know heresy of com- uh, you know compatibilism. So. Any thoughts, anything you guys would like to share on this world-renowned, uh, wonderful gospel preacher known as Beth Moore? <laughs> yeah, she renounced her involvement in promoting uh, complementarianism and, uh, and, and ever supporting it. Yeah. Yeah, she was finally just honest about what we've, everybody with theological IQ above freezing has known for the last <laughs> six years, at least is, is that she's, she's not complementarian. She's egalitarian and has been for a long time. Um, I did an interview with Susan Heck, put it up on my YouTube channel a few days ago, uh, talking about those issues, uh, with her in regards to Beth Moore. And, um, I'm going to have a, a couple of other, at least two other, maybe three other videos coming out on Beth Moore. Uh, as well, dealing with other issues, but um, yeah, uh, it, it's high time that we start calling a spade a spade. Beth Moore is a false teacher. You know, the it's three- always good when the wolves take off the sheep. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, right. Jim and Justin, the three of us had done a podcast together for I think it was the Rap Report podcast. I can't remember if we did an apologetics live or the Rap Report where we dealt with Beth Moore. And we we addressed the fact that she came out at that but that time. This is a couple of years ago. She was defending, um, she was defending complementarianism in words only, and that was the whole thing of what we were doing was looking at what she was saying and comparing it to what she was doing. And we we made the case she's egalitarian. She's just trying to put a facade up and deceive people into thinking she's complementarian, and. People attacked us when we did that show, saying a whole bunch of her followers were coming after us, saying how we are we are lying and we're you know we're saying things untrue about her. The question I would have is, you know, I don't know did did you guys get any uh, anyone coming to you asking for forgiveness for the you know, the terms that they used to describe us as being these wicked awful people? Now that she's come yeah, you know, out and admitted we are right. <laughs> Andrew, uh, I most of the time, Beth Moore's followers are the most tolerant, loving, sympathetic, gracious, <laughs> kind people that you'll ever meet anywhere on the internet. And so, I have a hard time believing you got even one scathing email or comment about that. So, I, I haven't personally received any any apologies for any of that. <laughs> Sarcasm runs thick with Jim Osmond. <laughs> yeah, it's dripping. There's a pool of it right here below my head. <laughs> And here's a comment I think you guys would agree with. So, so Melissa says, Susan yes. Heck is an amazing example of what a godly woman looks like. So is Michelle Leslie, for that matter. And I would agree with both of them, with both, with both of those with that comment. Um, so yeah, we, there's a handful of good, solid ladies out there. Susan Heck, Michelle Leslie, Elizabeth Prada. 
uh, Martha Amy, Peace, Amy, Amy Spearman, Amy Spearman, uh, Janet Mefford, and uh, Debbie Lynn Kespert, who calls herself Headstick Deb. I would commend her as well. So, uh, Calculus Man's here. He has a uh, eschatology, eschatology question for yeah. us. Easy for you to say. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, I guess so for starters, I guess in regards to eschatology resources, um, one guy I follow somewhat closely is a guy named Dr. Michael Vlach. Um, would he be considered a good resource in regards to accurately representing the three primary eschatology views? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, Michael Block, Michael Block is excellent. He wrote a book on, it's a primer on dispensationalism. Um, I remember the title of it right now, but it is, um, it's a thin book, um, just kind of an overview, answering some of the common objections to dispensationalism and really kind of presenting the, the essence, the essential nature of dispensationalism, divorced from a lot of the baggage that has collected around that over the years. People are often surprised to find out that I'm a dispensationalist and that I object to hearing the voice of God and binding Satan charismatic gifts because too often people associate dispensationalism as, as part and parcel with a lot of that extra baggage. And Michael Vlock in his book on dispensationalism does a good job of, of just getting down to the essence of what true dispensationalism is and what makes it different from post-millennialism and, and amillennialism. For sure. Yes, a- Sorry, go ahead. There's also a great little book um, called Revelation 20 in the Millennial Debate by Matt Waymeyer. That's fantastic. Um, that's another, it's a thin book, you know, easy, easily digestible, but very handy, very um, good kind of a. Yeah. That's yeah, it. And, and, that's it. Yep. This is it. Now there's the other one. Has the yeah. church replaced Israel? Yeah. Um, he, he has multiple books. He will reign forever. Uh, there are multiple books. That I tell you, I would recommend them. They're very balanced, very fair. And and that's the thing is he's not vitriolic. He just goes through the scripture. Um, he has a lot of videos that I would recommend on YouTube. Uh, you can go right on there and find him. He's, he's very solid, very balanced, and um, um, I think he's a great brother. Yeah, and those YouTube um, videos, are they like on the Master Seminary website for those playlists that they have for their seminary courses? No, if you just type his name in, uh, he's got probably a half a dozen or more. Yeah, has uh, has the Church Replace Israel as, as one of his uh, videos as well. So, Okay, cool. cool. All right, any other questions for us tonight? Uh, yeah, one other one here. So I've, I know a lot of on and post mill they would take Romans 11 to be symbolic in that regard in regards to the national salvation of Israel. I think I've heard the argument before, like if we look at this currency of Israel, like say like, like for example, when you guys are going on your trip to Israel here later this year, it, it'll be illegal to evangelize and that sort of thing. So people say, well, the average Jew right now is secular, especially in the national state of Israel. There's a lot of pro-homosexual stuff going on. So therefore, has God given up on Israel because the currency of, of Israel is like really secular and pro-homosexual and all that stuff? Um, if you want me to answer yeah, go from what I understand, um, just I'll answer this way. Everybody on this audience was elect before the foundation of the world. Right, uh, so that means at a certain point in time, God predestined that we were going to come to Christ. Well, that's the same with the elect of Israel. Uh, that, that, that those people may or may not be born yet. Uh, whenever time that point uh, takes place, those that Christ has decreed from the before the foundation of the world are going to come to salvation 
that God's creed, they're going to come to salvation. And that just because, you know, Israel's in judgment or because, you know, we weren't part, branch, uh, grafted in at a certain point in time, that doesn't mean that God's purpose of election doesn't uh, fails. That doesn't mean that his his um, his eternal work. You know, I, I hear the the gospel's going to win. Absolutely, praise God, it's going to win. He's going to get every single person he ever died for. Yeah, amen. amen. There you go. That's amen. that's what I got. Yeah. Yeah. Press on, press on. All right. Well, thanks, Chris, for that. Um. So uh, another thing, I'm trying to find. There was another. Uh, someone was asking about K. Arthur. Uh, you got. What are your thoughts on K. Arthur, guys? Good, solid, not solid. I, I went to one of her conferences where they did the taught us how to uh, diagram and do do the work that she was doing. And but I mean, this was probably 15 years ago. Um, I can't tell you now. I don't have a clue. Yeah. I guess maybe it's a good thing. Is, isn't yeah. that a good thing that she's not there with Beth Moore and and running around? <laughs> yes. I would say that uh, overall, or overall, she's good. The one caveat, and um, and it's a significant one, is that I know that she does not take the stand that like Susan Heck and Elizabeth Prada and these other ladies that I just mentioned would when it comes to women teaching men. Uh, she, I, I don't think you would see her get up on a Sunday morning, but at the same time, she. Uh, I, I know because of conversations I've had with Susan Heck uh, that that Kay Arthur does not does not draw that uh, as clear a line as as she needs to when it comes to uh, complementarianism. Okay, so let, let's. This is something I wanted to um, kind of deal with at the beginning of the show. Um, I could. I was trying to find the video for it, but I couldn't. But you know, th- this week has been uh, something in the news, especially in Canada, and I, I want to get your your take on some of this, guys. Uh, we saw on Sunday, or actually before Sunday, starting starting last last time that we did this show, we were talking about this, the fact that uh, in preparation for Resurrection Sunday up in Canada, uh, Pastor James Coates, who was released from prison, well, the church where he pastors uh, the. You know, the police came in with a fence company, and they put uh, a fence around the building. Then they put a fence around the parking lot. Then they went in and took the inner fencing and put a privacy fence around it so you couldn't see what they might be doing there. Next day, they came at 5 in the morning to put in a fence all around the grass area. So three levels of fencing to keep people out of this church. Uh, Sunday. They made a prison. Yeah. And and so Sunday came. the The church was not at the building. They met at an undisclosed location. So now even Pastor John MacArthur had said that you know in Canada they're going underground for church now. <clears throat> and here's the thing I found so amazing is here you had them, you know, people that were out there protesting on on Resurrection Sunday, singing hymns, and the police were you know came in in, in a large forces to move everyone on. Um, and that happens on Sunday. And then we have the beginning of Ramadan. And in Canada, I had someone sent me a, a 40-second clip uh, of a person who videotaped uh, one of the local Islamic centers. And what you ended up seeing is there was police there to, to direct traffic. The parking lot filled, 
filled. And that's why they needed direct traffic because there was a line of cars waiting to come in. And, and so here in the same country, same area where you have them saying that, no, a church has to be closed down for one of its highest holidays, Resurrection Sunday. But then with Ramadan, again, and I pointed this out last year, the same behavior. You see when, the, when Ramadan comes, the state is helping. We saw this in New York City last year when churches were being shut down and people were being arrested for having church in New York City for, you know, uh, Passover synagogues were closed. Then they had the issues with Resurrection Sunday. And now, Ramadan last year, we had the mayor of New York. He was out there setting up places for, for 75 places for people to get halal food. They actually, before Ramadan, sent city workers into the mosques to map out where people can stand to pray. Um so with, with this this week, I mean, what are your what do you guys see? We got the the issues with with Grace Life Church in Canada. We have, you know, we see this clear hypocrisy now when churches are being shut down and the mosques, the they're they're, they're they haven't been shut down at all. No one wants to talk about that. Uh, what what are your thoughts on that? Who wants to go first? I think that somebody should file a lawsuit. I don't know why there haven't been dozens of class action lawsuits filed against government officials, government agencies, health districts, and, and these feckless tyrants already. Um, that's unequal protection under law. It's obviously a violation of your constitutional rights. It's the establishment of religion. Um, if they, the government had done that for Christians while persecuting Muslims, I think everybody would object to that. Um, in fact, I know everybody objected to that. The, the left would burn the country down if the rules were reversed. So it's it's obviously um, the only way to explain this is that it's, this is a satanic delusion. And it, this is a nation under judgment, and Canada is a nation under judgment as well. Right now, righteousness is being punished, and everything evil and wicked is being promoted and celebrated. Who else wants yep. to answer? Justin? Um I'm just gonna. I'm in shock. I I don't. I mean, you know, as, as we talk about end times eschatology, um, you might take me off from it. I'm gonna get emotional in just a second. Um, you, I'll tell you, I don't want to see my brothers and sisters um, persecuted. I, I don't want to see this country fall. I don't want to see it. I, I, I love being an American. I love this country. I love where I live, but. I know that we have a home in heaven, and it breaks my heart to see these things going on. But I, I expect it, and I hate to see it. You know, um, I hate to see my brothers being put in prison for the name of Christ. Um, and you know, I, I've been reading a book by D. A. Carson on uh, reforming prayer life, and and I want to say to everybody, you need to read that book um, because we need prayer warriors. Godly men, godly women who will stand in prayer, you know, open up Paul's prayers and be praying for uh, the persecuted around the world because it's going to happen in our homes and around the world. And this is just awful. I, I just, I'm in shock, but it's, I shouldn't be, but I am. You know, this is the reason uh, for folks that may not be aware uh, on this same YouTube channel and actually in the same Facebook groups, uh, Wednesday nights. Um, you'll see at seven o'clock Eastern time that that I will I'm doing a Bible study, you know, from for Striving Fraternity on First Peter, and 
we're, we chose that book specifically because this is a book on suffering. And I think yeah. it's, it's, it's to prepare us for what we have coming our way. And I think that uh, if you haven't been watching that, you can, we're only about three studies in. So, you know, it, it, it'd be good to, to catch up and then, and then follow along. And if, if you have church on Wednesday nights, good, go to church. You can always catch it afterwards on YouTube. But, uh, you know, we've been getting a, a lot of good feedback from that as well. So, um, Justin Peters, you, you want to add anything or, or Anthony on, on what we see going on with Canada and, Anthony, <laughs> cut the fences down. Yeah. <laughs> well, they they actually did. They did. They were doing that. The protesters were doing that. You know what? Yeah. The church should. The church should stand up. I'm sorry. I, I know you. This is going to get into the same Here we go. last week. And uh, <laughs> and you know, there's not enough time to finish this now. At some point, Christians have to be men and stand up. At some point, pastors have to be men and stand up. I'm sorry. This is ridiculous. So at some point you stand up, it's, they're being just as disobedient in, in, in going and in, in hiding somewhere and meeting as they would by cutting down fences and going and meeting there. So I just, I just don't understand this. It is clear that the Canadian government is targeting Christians. They're not targeting any other religious group and it's time to stand up. Yeah. I, so Andrew, Andrew, what he's saying is, is we need to take dominion. Yeah, that's what I think he's saying. As I've always said, we operate post-mill, even though we're really dispensationalists. <laughs> they well, operate correctly. They just don't have their end times actually right. <laughs> yeah, so Laura, Laura says, uh-oh, Anthony is going to get picked on again. <laughs> get picked on again. But I agree, stand up. So, um, you know, the the issue is, I, I actually think that Pastor Coates is doing the right thing. His his focus is on his church and his people, and so they're going to meet so that they can continue the worship of God. I thought that that's the right thing to do on a Sunday, not to distract from the worship of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on a Sunday morning. Uh, so I, I actually thought it was a good idea for them to go and meet in an undisclosed location, because no matter what, where, if they tried to meet out there, that would have been just a spectacle, and they wouldn't have a service where they're worshiping God. That service would be more of a protest. And so there were people that were there, and they were protesting, I, and, and that, that was different, and the church wanted to be known that their church was not there. Uh, but I think that what you end up seeing is, I think that their focus has been on, on getting the gospel message out, and they've, they've been using this and allowing this to, to continue to communicate the gospel. There's a lot of people that have been out there protesting. Hmm? Hiding. They're, they're, not, they're not hiding. The they're worshiping God. They're worshiping God. Wait, on who a Sunday. knows this, right? They're hiding. I, I'm sorry. I, this I, is, okay. I, I, it sounds really pious. Again, you're getting into this pious attitude again. They're not worshiping. They're worshiping God. I agree. I have no problem with them doing this on Sunday, right? Then go on Monday morning and cut down the fences. <laughs> have all week to cut down your fences and show people how much you trust God and his sovereignty and that you're willing to die for the gospel. You're willing to die for the promotion of the one true God that exists. Now, wait a minute. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, Justin, hold on, Justin, hold on, hold on. Hold it. I just ran around. I just, I just want to make sure. Hold on, I just running around and didn't worry about getting killed. I'm just puzzled. I'm puzzled. Wait, Justin, you're going to need to help me out. Isn't this the same Anthony who said he won't trust God to take a vaccine 
That's right. I mean, he's if if to get the gospel message out, you know, he's not going to take a vaccine. Won't go to Israel. So, so yes, yeah. right, hold on. Let me let me try. I mean, let me try this right now. I love every you. one of you who are listening. You are a sinner. You've broken God's law continuously, mm-hmm. and if you don't repent to put your trust in Christ and trust in His death, burial, and resurrection, you will be in hell for eternity. Yep. Amen. Here you go. Oh, I man. gave the gospel, and guess what? I have not gotten poked. I have not, <laughs> gotten, I have not gotten it. I, I think you're hiding. I think I okay. think you're hiding. Hey, Jim, Jim, I want to ask you a question. I'll be at Cleveland State tomorrow preaching the gospel without a shot. Oh, and by the way, without a mask, even though we were surrounded by 25 students last week <laughs> telling us you must wear a mask. It's campus policy. Uh, I'm not a student here. <laughs> so, so I want to ask. I want to ask a question. Um, <laughs> If they if if they don't cut down the the fences and they just sh- share the gospel, is that good enough? Is that okay? I you know think. what? If, I, I I would be happier if they went there and they were protesting and they were sharing the gospel. Yes, I would be much happier with at least that. Because here's the thing: one thing I didn't say last week, I've, I've said it before. There is I have no problems with, with I have no problems with protesting. Because it's the <laughs> someone husband says there isn't a worship. You got to read that. You got to read that. Days. That's funny. So so it says husband says there isn't a worship service till someone is tased. That's right. That's <laughs> Laura, I love that one. It's working. <laughs> so I, I use the same argument in terms of protesting. I know Andrew, you brought it up last week that I was one of those guys uh, protesting last year in Ohio, and uh, you know what. Christians have been protesting outside of abortion mills for years. Guess what? Abortion's legal. Abortion's allowed. And and if you use the same logic, then Christians shouldn't be outside abortion mills either. So I have no problems with with Christians going and and preaching the gospel and and um, protesting outside of Capitol buildings, outside of churches that they got locked out of, or anywhere else. So I think we have to be consistent. And that's and that's being consistent. So yes, they should be at least protesting and then cutting down the fences. So so uh, Brad says time for pastors of the flock to put on their coats coat. <laughs> that's a good pun there. Um, so uh, Linda is asking Anthony if he can if he can cite scripture to support his protesting. Yeah, well, so what I'm going to do first is say the scripture is obey God and not man. And so I'm going to be much more concerned about doing what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. The government has no business in our churches. But the church was meeting. Just They have I no mean, business in our building, uh, hold on, on our land, Anthony, where Anthony, we meet. They have no business. Give this, you were asked for the scripture, and you know what I'm hearing? I'm hearing this. I just I just gave the scripture in Acts. Obey God and not man. We have we are called to meet. We are, and they don't have a right to kick us out of there. So That's so all. we're still waiting for the the scripture that you can cite for your hey, for as your soon as protesting. You me, as soon as you tell me the same scripture that you use to stand outside of abortion mills, then uh, we can meet on that common scripture ground. <laughs> I don't say that there it's, is scripture that tells us to same, stand outside. That's the same of, issue. You've been out there with me. That, yeah, but I don't, I'm not. I'm not saying scripture supports it. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that we're out there sharing the gospel. See, I, I'm out there to share the gospel. You're protesting abortions. No, I'm not. I'm sharing the gospel. I'm just doing it at, at a, an abortion mill. Do you <laughs> say anything at all about abortions while they're there? The evils of abortion. People save the baby's life. Yes. Well, actually, no, I don't. I usually actually uh, typically when I'm at abortion mills, I talk about slavery. 
And you know okay. my, my reasoning. I, I, I argue for slavery. Is, yeah. uh, because, and I argue I, for slavery. Yeah. <clears throat> I, and there's, there's a reason I argue for slavery at abortion mills. I, I will argue for slavery and the, the benefits of slavery until I get someone. Because most, most of the time, people who are going to abortion mills are going to be black. Why? Because they put them in black communities because Margaret Thanger wanted to get rid of black people. <clears throat> and so... They, they, they'll usually get somebody who's going to stand out and finally say that, uh, you know, that slavery is wrong. And I try to argue for benefits of slavery. People took care of the, each other. They, they, you know, they, they would take care of the people that they owned and feed them and clothe them in health care. They didn't have to worry about any of that. Until I, I'll just keep arguing until I get there's one thing I want to have someone say at the abortion mill. That it's wrong to own another human being. Because once they say that, they just lost the abortion argument. What's their, and then, because all I do is ask the question, what's the difference between this is my property and this is my body? They're both ownership issues. However, my goal at the abortion mill is the gospel, Anthony. So I can give plenty of scripture and cite plenty of scripture for preaching the gospel. Why don't you go somewhere else? Because they're doing what they're legally allowed to do at the abortion mills. But see, I'm not trying to get them to stop the, the, that the abortion mill. I'm trying to get them to believe the gospel because I believe that if enough people believe the gospel, the govern the, the the governing the governors and 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 politicians will just pretend to be Christian and follow suit. So, in, in all fairness, uh, Linda, I don't see Jesus doing either tearing down fences or protesting abortions. Well, actually, he went in and flipped the money changers' tables inside his father's house, and it's that same father's house that is being uh, fenced off. <laughs> No, so. that is not. You, did you just tr- compare the temple to a church building? I mean, you even the Jewish people wouldn't compare the temple to a synagogue. We meet there in fellowship, and they are blocking off these areas. This That's not the meet. temple. I no, know. Temple, that is but... not the sacrificial system, my friend. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a sacrificial system. Well, that's what the temple was. Yeah. I mean, they didn't have weddings in there like the Mormons think. Now you're being a hyper-dispensationalist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, look, we can't all live in a free state like Idaho, you know. So, well, that's a good question. So, so, Jim, what would you do if you woke up tomorrow morning and you had fences around your church? He lives in Idaho. They wouldn't do that. Well, hey, you know what? It's going to happen at some point here. Well... If that happened to us, I would I'd have to evaluate the situation, what the arguments being made were, but I would be inclined to do exactly what you did and just cut them, cut the fences and go in anyway. And probably immediately have a lawyer who would be ready to file a suit and say, you're trespassing on our property by putting up fences and you're violating our constitutional rights. And I would have a lawsuit filed immediately and I would Facebook live the whole thing. I would videotape it and make some people famous and do everything I could to to go about our normal operational business. We're going to have to get used to the fact that the, in, in this country, we're, this is going to happen more and more yep. and more in this country. And even, even in the face of persecution, the Christians are just going to have to say, you can arrest all of us if you want, so go ahead and arrest all of us. We're going in. And this is what we do, and this is who we are. So if you're going to arrest us, then arrest us. I don't have any problem with them arresting us if they want to do that. Cut the fences, tear them down, walk over top. If BLM did that, if you can you imagine a government official doing this to a, a BLM location, <laughs> fencing that off because Antifa was meeting there and they didn't want them meeting there because there are threats to physical people or to property, 
the left would burn the country to the ground for somebody doing that. And yet, and yet BLM and Antifa, they just got the fences and go right over top and the police would stand down. And I think if Christians just showed up with cameras in hand and said, we're going to go in here, we're going to cut the fences down, we're going to walk through and we're going to go worship, and you're going to arrest all of us, then arrest all of us, and at least go on the news for arresting the whole church. 300 people, however it is, I hope you brought a lot of handcuffs because we're all going to jail today. At some point, you just have to say that and 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 make them make them back it up. Yep. I just well, at least there's two of us on the I, show. I just want to know why Anthony's still here and not up in Canada cutting some fences down. Yeah, what's wrong with that? It's not his church, man. It's not my church. Oh, okay. that's convenient. <laughs> and, and and look, and, and the reality is, is that is that their church. I mean, you know, KT said, please look up um, Devin Davis's personal yes. blog page. I watched the video. I understand where they're coming from. I disagree with it, but it's not my church. So I I think every pastor is going to have to make decisions regarding that. John MacArthur waited a lot longer than we did before he went back to meeting. I didn't criticize him for waiting longer than other people did. There was another pastor in the town here where we live who never shut down his church at all for COVID. We did because we know what was going on. We were told that there was going to be a 30, uh, 30% uh, case infection mortality rate that 30 percent of people who got this were going to die that's what we originally told so we shut down for six weeks until we came to the conclusion that though the virus is real the crisis is manufactured the panic porn is all manufactured and once we came to that conclusion we went back to meeting and fortunately we live in an area where um the sheriff is behind us and he never even shut down that other church for being even though they didn't shut down for a single week of the of the covid scare and he didn't criticize me. I didn't criticize him. We shut down for about six weeks. He didn't at all. Other pastors are still shut down in our area. And I, I think that we've got to have room in our theology for pastors who will make different decisions in different settings. But, um, yeah. Well, Jim, it, Jim, I don't, I don't we're think all it's— going to have to grow fine. I, I don't think it's really fair for you to do that comparison for one reason. We happen to see this picture from your pulpit, <clears throat> and when you have Nancy Pelosi at your pulpit, um, you know I think that it's. I mean, I mean, here's here's a picture of you with in your office uh, that we have here with with Nancy, your arm around Nancy, and I, I see Bernie and AOC over your shoulder. Uh, I mean, of course you can open when you're when you're supporting folks like that. Those are all good points, Andy. I can't argue with any of that. <laughs> and, and to explain to explain that one, uh, <laughs> you have yes, to admit, please explain. You got you got had with that one. So so uh, Jim's Jim's son and and uh, his, one of the guys his his choir director there at the My church. Friend. His good friend, yes, <laughs> Josh Comstock, who uh, you know Justin and uh, and Jim and I know. Josh went out and made, so they went into, if you ever go into Jim Osmond's office, his office has got you know Ronald, pictures of Ronald Reagan, pictures of his family. They were all replaced with pictures of liberals, <laughs> all of them. Uh, and and it, it, a full-size... Hillary Clinton, Anthony Weiner, <laughs> Bill Clinton, Barack oh, Obama, gosh. Joe Biden, and all of them, all, they just, they replaced every picture in my office and had a full-size cardboard cutout of nancy pelosi in there and replace all the pictures with aoc and bernie on the wall and it was it took a week before i even discovered all of the things that they changed in my office and they did that for april fools last year yeah and, april fool walk us through like what give us a blow by blow when you and, walked 
when you walked in the building that morning because it's it's funny. It is, and and and, <laughs> well, and let me let me just before you do because there was one thing that I asked Josh to do, and he he ran back in the building before you got there to do this. Was I told him I wanted to get the video footage of your face when you walked in and saw that that life size Nancy Pelosi. So he ran back in to put a camera on so that we could capture your expression, <laughs> which was just great because yeah, you so walked in and walked back out. <laughs> I walked in and my um, and I saw the silhouette of the cutout in my office because it was it was Nancy Pelosi standing in the cutout cardboard cutout standing in the middle of my office and so I walked in and I saw that and the lights were off and my shades were drawn so it was kind of dark in there because it was early morning and uh, my first instinct was to begin to slowly reach for my gun which I <laughs> with me wherever I go and it took me a second to realize that, that this thing was not moving so I wait 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 this was your shot this was your chance dog. to shoot Nancy Pelosi <laughs> no. I sure uh, hope no FBI agent is listening to the show right now because Nancy's <laughs> about to get arrested uh, yeah. and it's not even going to be doing himself. something good he like putting down fences around the church yeah. <laughs> We all disavow the statements of Andrews. Yes. I didn't say I encouraged it. Cut down fence around a church, but let's shoot Nancy Pelosi. Hey, I didn't encourage it, but go ahead. (laughs) Mm. So, So, yeah, that's the story behind that. Well, but but this, but the thing was, is that, you know, you walked in, you walked back out of your office, then you got, you called your wife so she could, you walked in to show her. But I think the best, the whole thing had walked her through the office. I think the best was that, that, that Nancy Pelosi made it throughout your church service. I, I, I remember the story. If you want to talk about this, when you closed your eyes to pray for the first, when you guys started, when you opened again and you were back at, no, at no, church. No, no, it was not when we had opened. It was on Easter Sunday. Ah. Um, instead of doing a live stream behind a desk, like you are sitting there for that service, um, we were still kind of shut down at the time. It took us a couple more weeks before we opened up. Uh, I decided to preach a normal message from behind the pulpit, like MacArthur did when they were shut down, and there were just a few people who were there. So I bowed and prayed in the sanctuary, and when I looked up, there was Nancy Pelosi. Josh had walked her down the aisle and set her right in the middle of the aisle like 30 feet away from me, right in front of me. And and I tried to start the message and preach, but I, I just couldn't because it was just so distracting. Eventually, he took her out so that I could go on with my business, but it was it was quite a distraction. He got a lot of mileage out of that. Yeah, that, that was great. <laughs> All right. So uh, I don't know if you guys have anything. You know, we could eat. I know this is a, a sin for, for Anthony to end early, uh, but... Oh, hey, I got two things, Andrew, if I could. Yeah. So I made the point earlier that, to go back to what we started on, I made the point earlier that if your theology or eschatology particularly does not require bodily resurrection, then you do not hold the same eschatology of the apostles. That's point one. Point two is there's only one eschatology that requires bodily resurrection. That's premillennialism. And therefore, Peter and Paul and the other apostles were premillennialists because they believed that bodily resurrection was necessary, it was essential for the fulfillment of the promise to David. So therefore, their eschatology was premillennialism. Now, I discovered that years ago when I was, I shouldn't say discovered, because it's not like something I discovered, but it was something that kind of dawned on me. I was working my way through the book of Acts some years ago. I saw it in Acts chapter 2 with Peter's sermon, then I saw it in Acts chapter 13 with Paul's sermon. And so for years, I, I've made this case, though not even as public or vocally as I am right now and, and did on this last Easter Sunday. About a year ago or so, I called up Justin. Justin, do you remember this? I called you up and I said, hey, I have a theological issue that I want to bounce off of you. 
And I laid this case out to Justin. I said, am I, am I off? Like, do I, am I misunderstanding amillennialism or postmillennialism? Or is there something wrong with this theological argument? And Justin said, for years I've thought the same thing. I don't see other premillennialists making this argument, and I don't know why. So I kind of sit here in the premillennialist camp, and I made this the, the argument that I just laid out. It's a very simple one. I see it in Acts 2. I see it in Acts 13. And then when I don't see other premillennialists making it, I kind of look around and think, man, am I, am I alone in this? Like, why am I, why do I, my standing all alone making this argument? So I guess my challenge to those brethren who would respect me and I would respect who are post-millennialists and amillennialists is, can you point out where in my argument there is a flaw? Where in my understanding of Scripture there is a flaw on that issue? Because I'm open to it. I want to see it if I'm misrepresenting amillennialism or post-millennialism. So that's kind of one thing I, I wanted to drop on you. What else do you have? You said two. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, Justin and I, we we kind of have something of a reputation for being um, on the same page on a lot of this stuff. But we found an area where there's severe disagreement between the two of us, and it has to do with whether or not Matthias was a genuine apostle. Well, so I think you're wrong on that one. I, I have tried. You don't even know what my position is. No, I but I know what Justin's to, is, so I know he's right. <laughs> you don't need to know it. You're just gonna. You're just gonna jump off the ship. Okay. So, well, I if you have, disagree I've with Justin and he's got the right to, position, that makes you wrong. I, I have tried my best to walk <laughs> Justin through the truth, and this is an irreconcilable difference. Okay. Well, well the, the the simple thing is is that let's let's go back to the basics. When we look at scripture, we have to first the first thing of hermeneutics. Justin Pierce, Pastor Justin, you're you're taking a hermeneutics class, right? Uh, okay. The first thing in hermeneutics is to identify the genre. Uh, so, what kind of genre is Acts? It's a historical, historical narrative. Historical narrative. And so, with one of the things we know with historical narrative is that it doesn't teach what should happen, but what, what did it. happen. And so, when they chose Matthias as an apostle. Uh, that's what actually happened. Nowhere do we see where God says they should have done that. Nowhere do we see God commending them for doing that. But we do see God calling Paul an apostle. So, I just say, yeah, they did it. They were just, you know, there's nothing Let's that says they were right. Side though, because yeah. Jim makes a good convincing argument. I listened to this at dinner yeah, uh, last week. I'm not. No, I'm not going to let. My- out right now because Justin and I are planning the debate. <laughs> oh, fair enough. And, well, um, I, I think that debate cards, has to be here. These are my on, cards, holding them close to my chest right now because I'm going to take the <laughs> argument, Andrew, that, that you just came, and I'm going to poke so many holes in it. It'll be good for only straining macaroni by the time I'm done with it. <laughs> okay, well, Jim, Jim has a really good argument. All right, so this. what? That debate will be here on Apologetics Live when? <laughs> <laughs> Let's set this date up now. Uh, we, I, Justin and I, we don't know how we're going to do it, but we've got to resolve this before we can have fellowship again. See, even even Laura is saying Justin and Jim can't wait. They, 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 this is a debate that we need to see. I think you guys should schedule it for next week, and this let's do it. Oh, the, oh next week when when Anthony and I can't be here. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> Uh, Actually, I don't think I'm going to be here either. Maybe I am. I'm not sure. Well, see, next week we we should do something special for Earth Day. You know, it's oh yeah. You know, it's it's Earth like Day. Steak. Like uh, maybe, maybe we can just confess our sins to plants. Yeah, <laughs> we could, we could have a bunch of plants on the show and and and. What university was that where they had the plants on stage and everyone was was apologizing to the plants? 
<laughs> yeah, that was Union Union Seminary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh. Do you remember the that one those uh, people that went? This is a couple of years ago. They went into a, a grocery store with a microphone and some meter on it, and they were pretending like you could hear screams from the vegetables laying there <laughs> in the grocery store. <laughs> the is, that, is that like the, they used to pick up paranormal activity and Did you you guys? <laughs> is that like the Grinch doing yoga? Where he's. <laughs> did you guys ever see? There was a video. Oh, I I, I don't know if I can find. It. There was a. A vegan that went through a, a, a store screaming that chickens have feelings too. Oh, you you, you gotta listen, watch that video if, if you have. She like was going through and she's like she's like screaming at people in the in the meat department, going, "Chickens have feelings too. You're hurting the chickens." <laughs> one person held up the chicken, and went, "It's dead." <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, veggie yeah. tails uh, so- with smoke. <laughs> So uh, anyway, about Justin and I, Justin's been studying for um, our discussion. I, I don't need to study for discussion because I read the text, so I don't need to make any arguments other than just reading the text. But Justin's been studying for the, the discussion, and I'm looking forward to it. Are you, Justin? You ready? Uh-huh. Are you ready? You put him to sleep on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm almost asleep because I hadn't had any sleep in, in uh, about a day and a half, but... But no, yeah, no, I'm, yeah, we're going to do it at some point. We got to find a date in the calendar to well, do it. Just, uh, look, Thursday nights, we got the time set aside. We want it here. Let's have this debate. Just say when. Absolutely. We'll be happy to, to moderate this and, and, and watch you guys yeah, you, you walk away like as brothers. Moderator. You, just, you just chimed in with getting all the, the bogus arguments. <laughs> well, hold on, hold on. As a professional moderator, moderator. <laughs> I, can, I can, even though I may disagree with a view, it doesn't mean I'm unfair oh, to the people in the right, time right. given. Yeah, you should so have seen Andrew trying to silence like, me so, last week. Yeah, so your questions would be like, <laughs> What, so Anthony? Justin, I can't hear you. Jim's wrong. Well, Jim, if you care to make a good argument, then just convince me. That's all. Let's, let's you shouldn't see. have to convince the moderator. That's the point of moderating. See, your no, 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 no. Uh, your Justin, job is you're right and Jim's wrong. No, your question will, to me will be, Jim, why don't you tell me how come you persist in being wrong? See, that's not moderation. No, 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 Jim, Jim. It's really so. Like, if you if you want to be wrong, that's your choice. But if you have such a convincing argument, you should be trying to convince Justin and I, even everyone of your position, yeah, if it's so good. Yeah, you're you're like the Huffington Post interviewing Joe Biden, just stroking his hair and giving him, feeding him, putting and telling him how great he is, and asking him to comment on how horrible Donald Trump was. That's that's uh, un, that's not unbiased, man. I Brother Justin, um, I would like to give you an hour and forty five minutes to go ahead and give the biblical position, and Jim's going to have the next fifteen minutes to go ahead and finish up with his opinion. So go ahead. That's exactly right. That's exactly Jim. We will make sure we do this show with me as moderator. We will not let Justin or Andrew into the show. I, I, no, I just, look. I understand that that you know Jim just feels you know he's he's doesn't want to be outnumbered because he has a, a bad view i'm sure and he i understand so yeah you're making my case for me andrew oh, man. all right so we do have, we do have to answer one question that we seek that uh, kt was asking she said uh hey the guy that was tackled is he out of a coma yet andrew um so uh i'm i'm all right guys i'm <laughs> i'm doing just fine um i love you mom uh uh, hopefully, I'll be home soon. <laughs> so, 
so he's doing okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and so uh, with that, we're going to end the show. <laughs> what a what a good start and end to the show. <laughs> the, the best part is Anthony missed the beginning, so oh well. <laughs> no, I, I did see it. I just didn't realize what they were referring to. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, so next week, uh, I think actually we will be here, uh, the next two Thursdays will be here, the two after that, uh, Anthony and I will be in Florida, and so Pastor Justin's gonna, gonna have some surprises, I'm sure, he'll have to figure out what he's gonna be doing while we're gone. Um, Pastor Justin might be in Florida with you guys, so. Well then, okay, then if that's the case, maybe we'll do a live show from there. Yeah, we might okay. do a live show, that's a good idea. Yeah. So, uh, so Jackson's asking any Anthony time, no, because I gotta go take care of a comatose sick guy <laughs> i gotta tell a quick really quick funny story so years ago when i had um, uh, an rv motorized rv and a little trailer i had uh, this trailer that i put my scooter in and all my resources and stuff as kathy and i drove around and uh, i had justin peters ministries on the trailer and like my website and whatnot and we were in florida and parked it i can't remember a grocery store or walmart or something to go in and get some supplies or whatever and when we came back out there was a note under my windshield wiper and it said hello we see that you're in the ministry we're so excited about this we would love to have you come and worship with us at church without walls pastored by paula white (laughs) and and it's just like seriously (laughs) so anyway i'm kind of i'm looking forward to going to florida with y'all because we're going to be right in a, a stone's throw away from Paula White's church, so I don't, I don't. That was before I was as I, I don't think I was on their radar at the time, but I'm I'm pretty sure I am now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're, we're glad everyone. I hope this is is helpful, for folks, understanding uh, end times views. Um, and Jim, I think you. I actually do think you have a really good argument for it. Yeah. So on that one, you know, I like it. It's good. We'll see if you can convince me on Matthias. You. But uh, <laughs> it's only because you're hard, hard and sick. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be back uh, next time. And folks, if you want to check out our Bible studies on First Peter, check those out. They're on the same YouTube channel, Striving for Eternity. Just go search for it on YouTube and uh, every Wednesday night. So uh, we got that. Go check out the Rap Report as well, my podcast, and Justin's podcast, Didache, and Pastor Jim's preaching sermons that are also in podcast form at Kootenai Community Church Worship Service. So uh, check those out. They're all available at the Christian Podcast Community. So until next week, strive to make today an eternal day for the glory of God.